Fellow listeners, can you do me a favor? Go to Apple Podcast or Anchor and download my podcast, Sister in Arms Podcast. What are you bringing to the table? It is a podcast where my good friend Tori Lopez and her co-host Sylvia Gomez review various news articles giving their unique opinion and perspective on everything from politics, entertainment, health, and lifestyles. They are very liberal, so if you're not into that, don't tune in. They are very anti-Trump. They'll tell you that on the first episode, that if Trump's your guy, I wouldn't listen to it. But I love the podcast. It is pretty funny. They have this section where it's called Rapid Fire, and they read a headline, and they just kind of guess what the article is about based on the headline. It is uh, it's a pretty, well, it, it can be light, but... You know, um, they're two social workers and they're giving very social work takes on the news. So um, do me a favor, download that podcast. What are you bringing to the table podcast? Thank you. to the Hip Hop Social Worker Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Scott, and today I have a special guest by the name of uh, Tori White. Um, she is a mental health advocate and, and author. Uh, she she creates content herself. Um, and where are you uh, located? I'm located in Asheville, North Carolina. Okay. Across the nation, you know, uh, on over on the East Coast and the South. But, uh, yeah, um, you know, I'll follow her on Instagram. Um, she has a pretty good story. Um, you know, uh, she's a she's a big mental health advocate. You know, like I said before, she's an author. She wrote a book. Uh, but I can let her introduce herself better than I can. So uh, you want to go ahead and take over? All right. Hello, everyone. Um, so my name is Tori. I am um, a single mother of two. I... I started really getting deep into um, understanding mental health and talking about mental health probably when I was in high school, only because I was dealing with a lot of things. Um, and so it just opened up a lot of questions that I felt like um, were not getting answered at home or were not getting answered within my family. So it caused me to dive into it more. I've always been fascinated with the brain and what makes people tick. So that's kind of like where it, it initially um, got into me, but then after dealing with my own issues, caused me to realize, okay, I need to really talk about this a little more than what I have been. So that's what brought me to where I am now. Nice. Thank you. Um, so um, when did you uh, really, like you, said, like you were in high school, when you were in high school, and you kind of uh, knew that you had to do something about what was going on. Um, so what steps did you take, you know, to learn more about it? So in middle school and high school, I would say that I was dealing with 
you know, some things that are typical with um, adolescents at the time. However, I was also dealing with my grandfather being diagnosed with cancer and having to deal with giving up my room and everything so he could survive or live with us. And I was just dealing with a bunch of things that no one was willing to talk about. Like, no one asked me, how are you dealing with this? How are you um, dealing with your room no longer being your room? How are you dealing with taking on the responsibility of caring for someone at such a young age? And I felt like a lot of it just caused a lot of anger within me, and I didn't understand the anger. And I felt like a lot of people around me didn't understand it. So that's where it really started for me with um, reaching out at school to one of the school therapists and engaging in um, anger management therapy. And so from there, it kind of opened up a can of worms, I guess, to where I was able to really talk about things that I had to deal with growing up, to feeling like my father wasn't there, how I needed him to be there, to everything else that was kind of going around, going on around me, being raised in a project, being raised in a single parent home, all these things that were um, precipitating factors. And I was never given the space to talk about it. Yeah. And then, um, it just caused me to really feel like, okay, let's, let's start talking about it. It still wasn't accepted right away with me talking about it in the family. It was just more, I come from a family that we, we tend to push a lot of things under the rug. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like um, that's common, you know, within our community. Uh, I know um, I interviewed some family members on this podcast, and, you know, sometimes it's, like, met with praise. Sometimes it's met with, uh, why are you telling all our business? You know, that kind of stuff, you know, like, uh, you know, ain't nothing wrong with us. We just kind of, you know, we just do things different, you know. But, um, like, do you ever, like, think about, like, why those kind of, uh, like, issues are, like, not really addressed in our community, like in the black community? Definitely, they're not. And I think a lot of it comes from the mentality of back in the day, like, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, they were always ready to keep everything in the home. Like even thinking back, if you think slavery, mm-hmm. a lot of times um, the women were beaten, they were raped in front of the husbands, and it was kind of like hush hush. You didn't talk about it because you didn't have the ability to really stand up for yourself. And I feel like that has just carried on from generation to generation. And very few people are willing to break that curse. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, I think you know and. And like like you said, uh, just kind of like that, going through so many traumatic things and not really having the space to talk about it because, you know, like, um, you know, like with Jim Crow and everything like that, like like there wasn't a space for, like, you to be black and be safe, you know. So I just think, you know, like we took that kind of survivor mentality and put it under the rug. And it was like as far as everything else in our world we talk about, if it's just bad news or something bad happens, it's just like, we look at it as it's a part of life, you know, like like instead of saying, no, this is really like traumatic and we should probably unpack it and really figure out how to heal, you know, because a lot of a lot of stuff that, you know, that, you know, that we see in our community. And I'm glad that, you know, that, that there are people like you out there and myself that are talking about, you know, um, how important mental health is, 
you know, uh, to to each other and to our into our healing in general, you know, because I feel like we need more, like like we just need more awareness. Uh, e- even though there's a lot of awareness, we went like centuries without having anything, so we got some catching up to do. You know what I'm saying? Exactly, and it seems to only be awareness um, on a larger scale when something dramatic or tragic happening. Mm. It's, it's not a normalized conversation to have every day. And when you're talking about the brain, when you're talking about emotions, when you're talking about trauma, those are everyday um, things that happen, that literally happen every day from um, going to work. And like, for instance, I work for the VA and I work with homeless veterans and mm. every day is a different type of trauma because I'm dealing with individuals who are literally homeless and some of them have drug addiction. Some of them have been sexually abused. They have military sexual trauma. They're dealing with PTSD. They're dealing with all these different things on top of society kind of shutting the door to them Mm -hmm. and saying that although we love veterans, quote unquote, we don't love you if you're homeless. We only love a certain type of veteran. So, you know, every day I'm dealing with that. And when you're in a space, just like with you being a social worker, when you're in a space of dealing with people and taking on their traumas, it's kind of traumatic for you as well if you don't know how to deal with it. If you don't know how to unpack that box every day. That's true. That is true. People always ask me, uh, you know, how how do I deal with, like, hearing so much just, you know, trauma on a daily basis. But I just tell people, you know, like – I've always been pretty good at, like, you know, like, when I get home, shutting it off, you know, like, and I know I'm rare, because a lot of people, you know, like, I, I know a lot of people who, who quit social work because, you know, you, you know, they really couldn't understand, you know, say how somebody could go through so much stuff, you know, so, like, me, I've always kind of been a person that, you know, like, yeah, I hear it, and I feel it, and, and like, in our, in, in, in our session, we, you, you know, we bond, and, you know, like, I, I give them tips, and, you know, we try to heal it, but at the same time, I've been very, I've been pretty, like, good at, like, you know, when I get home, I'm home, or, like, I just forget about it, you know. I know it sounds kind of, like, callous and cold, but, you know, I think it really helps me, you know, say, like, check, keep myself in check, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I definitely do. I think everyone has their own way of dealing and having those checks and balances. The unfortunate thing is, that a lot of people don't have that. Like, I was at a place for a long time, and I'm still learning. Like, going back in therapy um, on a regular basis and everything, I'm starting to reteach myself how to do that very thing. When I get home, I'm home. I'm not bringing work home with me. I'm not bringing the stress of outside things with me. I'm really taking the time to live at the moment of what is happening. Um but I definitely think that it's a learning process, and I give you all the praise for being able to do that. Because I hope to get there. I hope to get there. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, like I said, like, like I feel like when I tell people that, you know, like a lot of people look at me like, damn, like that's kind of. But it's like, no, nah, like you know, I have, you know, I have, I have the empathy, and I have all that, you know, all the tools that you know, you know, that are needed. But it's, at the same time, it's like. I just don't carry it, you know, like I just, I just don't. And I don't, I really don't know why. I should probably check, I probably should check myself out, you know. But uh, so um, what kind of things did you learn about the brain in trauma when you were 
trying to figure your own stuff out? So really the whole notion that hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I was looking at just trauma within where I grew up, growing up in a project, growing up in a single-parent home, I thought about all the things I've seen. And I, there was a moment in time where I blamed myself, I blamed my mother, I blamed people around me for the situation in which I was in without understanding how I got into that situation or why we were there. Yeah. And realizing that a lot of times that that came from the coping, that was their coping mechanism. Um, if if there was a shootout in the neighborhood, you kind of didn't talk about it because you didn't want to keep reliving it. You want to kind of make it in your head like everything's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so really diving into why do we do that? realizing that anger, which is something that I dealt with initially, I was a very angry person. I mean, you could look at me the wrong way and I was ready to go all in. I would literally black out mm. and whatever happened during that blackout happened. Yeah. Um, luckily, I never got in a police arrested or anything like that. But one of the things I learned was that anger is a secondhand emotion. A person can never be angry first. Mm-hmm. So you're going through other emotions. But the thing is, we have been taught to only recognize the anger. Yeah. We haven't been taught to recognize the other cues that our body gives us. And even in therapy now, um, a lot of times, especially with like when I feel myself about to have an anxiety attack, it's ways that I can recognize what is happening in my body. Are my palms getting clammy? Um, it's my voice starting to become shaky. Are my feet getting really sweaty? Is my heart rate increasing? Yeah. Uh, do I feel my body tensing? Do I tense up my jaw? You know, all these things that we're not taught to really be in tune with, but no one knows your body quite like you. So True. those are the things that I learned first on. Like, how do you identify when your body is going through a state of trauma? <clears throat> how do you recognize that? And then once you recognize that, how do you say, okay, why is this happening? Yeah. Um, now granted, there are some times where people are in, in, in trying to figure out people, I've learned that sometimes there are certain things that really, um, spark a, a certain thing in a person, a certain emotion, a certain chemical balance in a person. And some people feed off of what we call in the black community drama. Mm-hmm. And that's what fuels them. Some people feed off of um, caring for others or, or constantly taking on other's issues so they don't have to take on their own. Um, and I feel like just like, a, just like a car, just like a machine, sometimes we have to go into our brains and kind of retune it get it to a place where it works for us, not in who we were, but who we're trying to be. And really get in the habit of um, challenging our first initial thoughts, challenging habits, challenging the ways that we think about things or the way we react to things. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, I, I do a lot of anger management with um, 
you know, with uh, my some teams that I work with. Just kind of basic stuff, like you said, cues, you know, like when to know when you're getting triggered, um, you know, like um, uh, things like, uh, you know, playing out the scenario, uh, things like that. Uh, but they don't really seem to believe that it works, you know. Their young brain doesn't really, you know, um, aren't able to really, like, see it actually being a long-term thing that, you know, that they can practice, you know. So, so like, when you dealt with your anger, you know, did you uh, think or, you know, did you feel like, you, you know, those kind of things helped you out? I feel like when you're in the, so two parts to that. Okay. Therapy is only as good as what you're willing to bring to the table. Yeah. So yeah. in therapy or in anger management or any kind of counseling, if you're still in this box, if you're not allowing yourself to become vulnerable to the situation, it's not going to work. Yeah. You're only going to get out what you give in and so initially i had to go through different different types of anger management because initially when i first went in i went in like uh-huh, i'm here for my hours so what you gotta say i ain't saying nothing <laughs> and that's the kind of attitude i had because i didn't trust people and i was historically when i got close they always left so in my mind, I was protecting myself by not allowing myself to open up to the person who says that she was trying to help me. You know, so yeah. it, it took a while. I was in that same space as of the individuals that you talk about in the sense of, uh, this is not going to work. It doesn't work. I'm, I'm angry. I'm meant to always be angry. Yeah. Well, then I had a um, therapist. Tell me, she's like, you know how when you shake a soda bottle, mm. and she's like, you keep shaking and you keep shaking it and then you open it. She's like, eventually it explodes. And she was like, that's when you take on things and you're constantly taking on things, taking on things, taking on things, and you're not speaking up for yourself or advocating for yourself, you're allowing yourself to become that soda. And she said, and the more it's shooken, you're going to explode. It, you may not know when, but eventually the right person is going to twist the top off mm. and you're going to explode. Yeah. And so for some reason, that really resonated with me. And that was the point when I realized, okay, when I'm upset, am I really upset at the person or am I upset at some things that have happened previously that remind, and in that moment I'm reminded of it. Mm-hmm. So I had to really like dive into that but it it took it took a while. It took probably a couple of years just for me to get to that point. Yeah. Because again, I wasn't willing to do the work. Mm, yeah. Um, I, I think being young is scary, and a lot of times it's even more scary when you don't have you don't have the support of maybe your peers. I feel like a lot of times. Regardless of people say, oh, I don't care what other people think of me, blah, blah, blah. We do. Yeah. We're human. Definitely we care. Do. Especially when we're young. That's how our brains work. So I think when you have a buddy that you can talk to or if therapy, like I believe in the whole group model. If you have a time where it can be a group and you realize you're not the only one going through what you're going through, it allows you to be able to get in the space to open up and open your mind to things that are a little more... Um, where you need them to be or where you want to be 
in order to make that progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like a lot of um, like so I, I get a lot of referrals, you know, and I feel like people come to therapy like so, so like the people who make referrals for other people to come to therapy. I feel like they want like the therapist to fix them. But at the same time, it's like you said, uh, you know, um, if you're not willing to participate in the therapy, like, honestly, it's not really going to help, you know. So that's one, like, that's one frustration that I have, like, you know, like fighting the system. It's like, yeah, you can refer somebody and you can say, oh, they need therapy. But, you know, if you're not willing to, if the person, if the person is not willing to do what they need to do in the session or, you know, if, you know, if there's a part of the system, you know, that I might be in, you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like if you're in therapy, everybody has to be held accountable, like, including the mm-hmm. person you're talking to. If, if they're having conflicts at home, you know what I'm saying? Whoever they're having conflicts with at home needs to be held accountable. It's like, it's like you know, if if they have a person, that, like a DHS worker that they're working with, and that person's causing, like, some anxiety, you know, like, they got to be held accountable. It's like, we all got to be held accountable, you know, for the healing to start, you know, like it's kind of hard for me to give somebody tools and then put them back in the same toxic environment and expect them to flourish, you know. I mean, I'm not saying it can't happen, exactly. but it's very rare, you know. So, um, and, and oh, go I, ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, and I think, like, to piggyback off that, a lot of times, even for me, um, I was put into this box of saying that, okay, you're from the project and kind of this is this is what y'all are. This is who y'all are and everything. So it was difficult for me to even open up to someone who's never been in the position that I've been into. I think now we're getting to a place where you're starting to see a lot more black therapists, a lot more black counselors. But growing up, I didn't see that. I didn't see people that look like me. So it made it difficult for me to say, okay, you'll understand my pain. You'll understand what it's like to live where in a place or in society at this time and endure the kind of things that I endure. Like my sense is now as a black female, a black mm-hmm. female with natural hair. And yeah. so when I look at her, I'm able to see me. And that allows me to get to a place where I'm comfortable and I can open up to her in a way that I I haven't been able to open up to other therapists. Yeah. And that's important too, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, you know, for people to talk to somebody who can relate, you know, like, uh, like you said, uh, I know my dad, um, you know, when he was getting clean, his first stint in rehab, uh, the, the rehab he went to was like, well, like rich CEOs, <laughs> I don't know how the hell, uh-huh. he, I don't know how the hell he got there, but he said, you know, they were talking about like their wine cellars and, you know, and their vacation homes. And he was like, I ain't, you know, like, this ain't, <laughs> this you know, this ain't what I don't, I ain't got none of this stuff. So, so like his first in rehab really didn't work well, you know? So, um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's good to be around people who can, who can, who you can relate to, you know what I'm saying? Now, some people might not need that, but I feel like most, most people need, like, especially people who've been through like historic trauma, like African Americans, you know, anybody with any kind of like, you know, um, you know, long history of trauma in their community. It's not, it, it's just nice to know that, you know, if I tell you a story, you know what I'm saying, about, like, something like some racism I experienced, you won't question it. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. You know, so, yeah, that that's definitely makes a, a good, yeah, that's a good start, you know. Like, I know, I know, like, the black families that I see are very appreciative, you know, like, you know, when I walk through the door, they're like, oh, man, like, okay, we got somebody who might be able to relate to us, you know. 
And I say that you can't if you're from a different race, but it's just, it, it just it's just different, you know. It's just different, and and and, if, mm-hmm. and it feels different, you know. So, um, what kind of uh things that you like do you experience on your um in your daily life? You, you know, what I'm saying like, how do you like um how do you get over those challenges you know, that that you might experience? Well, to start off, every day is a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I I consider myself very high-functioning, but every single day is a challenge. It's a challenge to get up in the morning. It's a challenge to get dressed. It's a challenge to go through the day. Like, I think people, people believe that... Um, because you deal with certain certain realities, such as depression or PTSD or bipolar or whatever the reality is, that your life does not go the same way other people go. Mine does. Like, I, I still go to work every day. I, mm-hmm. I and that one to everything. I'm into politics. I'm into all these other things. But every single one of them are is a challenge for me. Like I have to constantly be intentional about everything that I do. Um, I have to allow myself to have bad days. Yeah. I have to allow myself to know that if I'm not feeling up to it, I can say no and no is okay. Mm-hmm. I have to allow myself to stop living my life trying to please others and live my life to please myself and not saying that other people don't matter like my kids don't matter but I realized even at the beginning of this year I had a very very tough um beginning of this year and I was in a place where I was constantly saying yes 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 doing everything that everyone wanted and I wasn't happy with myself I wasn't taking care of myself and I know that if I don't do that, then I'm not being the best me that I can be. Yeah. And in order for me to be the best parent I can be, I have to be the best me that I can be. Mm-hmm. So basically, I took everything a moment at a time. Um, I have really been making sure that I take breaks. And typically, I go through work, and I won't take a break. Oh, yeah. But now I've tried to get intentional about, okay, Tori, you need to take at least 10 minutes to yourself to just breathe. To just go to your corner without people and breathe. Walk, whatever you need to do, but do it for at least 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So you you can kind of regroup. If I'm upset, I allow myself to say, you know what, let me step away for a moment and never say anything in the heat, in the heat of me being upset. Because that's who I was. Like, yeah. I would just, if I'm pissed off, I'm going off. And whatever came out, came out. Yeah. But now I'm able to really step away and process it. Figure out what am I going to allow to invade my mental space and what I'm going to allow to just say, you know what, that's not even worth the attention. Um, it's like <laughs> the other day I had a gentleman say to me, um, there's just something. Something, he was basically trying to describe me and describe me as a nigger. And at that moment, I was like, Lord, Tori, you you have grown. Because initially, I would have just went off. 
But instead of going off, I took that moment as a teachable one and explained to him why that's not okay. Regardless of how you thought you meant it, it's not okay to say. Yeah. And it's not okay to say to me, and I'm not going to allow you to say it again. You know, but I was able to do it in a way that I didn't leave upset. I didn't leave frustrated or feeling like I had to, to defend who I am because I knew that wasn't, that's that's not my calling. That's not, that's not who I answer to. Yeah. You know, like that's not, just because he said it to me to describe me, that's not how I describe myself. However, I let him know that in the future, make sure if you're going to describe me like that, I'm not around. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it really takes, like, really working on being intentional about every step. When you feel yourself, like, when I feel myself getting to that point where I'm about to get frustrated, I have to step away. My kids, like, being a single parent is hard. It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. And there are times that I still cry. Like, I still just sit there and cry. But in, instead of Instead of doing it the way I used to, or crying and feeling bad for myself, I cry, and I I don't feel bad for crying. I I tell myself that is my way of coping. Yeah. Like I'm allowed to do that. Yeah, you are. Um. Yeah, if I want to screen phone calls, I'm allowed to do that, <laughs> and it's okay. Um, and I screen calls all the time. Yeah. So. Also, you know, like reading and writing, um, it kind of sounds cliche because people always say, just read and write, but it really does help. Like, it allows mm. me to escape my mind for a moment and live through someone else. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I know I, people always look at me like writing doesn't help, but it's like, nah, because like, you, you can really write down whatever you want to write down. You know, like, I don't, I don't see why, how it couldn't, but, you know, you get stuck. You know, some some people get stuck, but yeah, right. Writing really does. Uh, reading and writing really does help you escape. You know, I um, I often write. Sometimes I just write gibberish just to start, just because I just need to put some energy somewhere. You know. Uh-huh. But uh, but it's funny. Uh, my coworkers. I had a coworker um, give another coworker her personal phone number, like that of her work phone number. And the person was like, oh, man, like, you give me a personal phone number? And she was like, uh, well, I mean, it's my phone. So if I ain't going to answer it, then, then I ain't got to answer it. So I was like, you know, so, yeah, you write about the screening calls part because that is important. You know, like, if you ain't if you ain't available, I ain't available. You know, I need to, I need to relax. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I, what I did, I mean, I also go to therapy. Like, even though I'm at a place where I'm kind of, in a, I'm definitely in a better place than what I was. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not perfect, so I still go to therapy every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still do the work, even though I go out and I do group sessions. I I kind of coach people on how to do the work. I still do the work myself. Yeah, and I make sure that people understand I'm not perfect. Like I still, um, at the beginning of this year, I was suicidal. Mm-hmm. And I got to where I was dealing with a lot, and I was trying to keep up this facade that I'm perfect. And it took me like stepping back and saying, "Lord, wait, it's okay not to be like you trying to be perfect is going to kill you." Definitely, you have to be honest, and not even with other people, but most of all, honest with yourself first, and be okay with saying this is your truth, 
and living in it. Stop trying to live in what every everyone else's bubble. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta live for yourself, you know, like um, first, because like like you said, you know, you gotta be the best you you can be before you can take care of anybody else, you know. Um, so the book that you wrote and the show that you do uh, on Instagram, uh, how did you get to that point to like uh, know like, hey, I'm I'm gonna write a book about the things that I've encountered or you know things that help me with my mental health. So, to be completely honest, I'm an introvert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it takes a lot of being pushed to do it. Like, I, I'm very talkative when I know you. Yeah. But initially, I'm not. Like, I'm not a very um, just open person. So, when the book came about, I've always written things. Like, from poetry, I, I wrote a book on race because I was dealing with some racial things when I was little. And, I, I mean, I've always been the type of person to write, but not the person to share. Yeah. So when um, I was actually contacted by this lady who said that she had a collaboration project coming available, and it was on mental health. And at that time... I had already started talking more within the community about the need to normalize the conversation. And so my boyfriend at the time was like, hey, like, you should do it. And I was like, "Uh," you know, I I thought myself out a lot of stuff. So I was like, no, you know, the money and everything. And he was like, no, do it. So I contacted her and I said, hey, I think I think I want to do this. And it kind of just came from there. It, It came natural. I just talked about what my battles were, um, I dealt with postpartum depression and attempted suicide during during that time after having my daughter and just talking about how how alone I felt in that moment um, and the resources that weren't available, weren't yeah. available to people that looked like me and how even my family Kind of just like, let's put it under the rug. Let's not talk about it. Make me fearful that my kids would be taken away and everything like that. And it was going through all of that that made me realize, hey, like, somebody got to speak up. Mm-hmm. And you going through this, I'm, I'm a strong believer in we all have a purpose. And sometimes I feel like this, the hand I've been dealt is because my purpose is to help others. Yeah. That my purpose is to be vocal about it and be the advocate, be that voice for the voiceless. So that's kind of where the whole deciding to do the book came from. And I'm actually in the process. I'm working on two other books that's solely me and Sonic Collaboration Project. Mm-hmm. And um, one is just about self-love and learning how to identify who you are, embrace who you are. And then live who you are. So uh, just the steps in, in doing that and just some things that I've learned. And then the other one is just how do we talk about the conversation with our kids? Um, my mm. son, he also does therapy. So that's where that one came along. As far as the talk, um, really, I think once I decided to move forward with the book, 
I just said, you know, let me start doing a couple of lives. Let yeah. me just see how I feel. And I'm still very nervous. <laughs> I hear you. I don't like the camera. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I don't like any of that. Like, I'm I'm super nervous. Um, I still have some insecurities about that. But the people I have met along the way yeah. has, has allowed me to to work through those insecurities. Um, so there's a lady that I um, typically like will do either a month together or will, you know, pick every other week or something and answer um, it. And she, she deals with bipolar disorder. So we talk about it from two different sides of everything, like me dealing with the way I dealt with it and then her also being a parent but not realizing what she was dealing with until much later in her life. Yeah. And then also there's um, just a couple of other people I've met just come to me about their story. Some in college, some who's never been diagnosed, and I just realized there's really a need for it. And it's a need for it with people that's like you and I, mm-hmm. not famous people. Like, not saying famous people, I'm not glad that there are famous people that talk about mental health. Yeah. But they also have the resources. Yeah. You know, like, they, they have financial resources. They have people that even if they don't believe in them, they're going to say they believe in them because they can't make it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was good to know, to see it from a sense of someone that literally looks like me, that lives their everyday life the same way I do. Yeah. Goes through the same struggles that I do. Um, and from the inboxes and everything that I get, I can feel that I, I'm doing what I, I was called to do. And mm-hmm. I'm doing what what is right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, definitely. Um, you know, uh, it's it's remarkable. You know, saying how you know, like everybody you meet doing this kind of work, and people just kind of you know just reaching out to you. You know, because you make it a difference. You know, um, we might not think we make a huge difference, but there's somebody out there listening to what we're doing and reading what we're writing. You know, so you know that's uh that's always a re like a reassuring feeling like you know like I like that you know exactly like if I had a lady um who was all the way in Australia reach mm-hmm. out to me and say hey like you know I've been going through some rough times and just reading your stuff and and seeing your posts have really helped me she's like because here I feel like I'm so alone my family tells me I'm just crazy yeah and it's just things like that that even though it may feel like the people around you don't believe in you. Mm-hmm. The people that are meant for you are meant for you. Yeah. So they may not be the person that you grew up with or the person that you physically know, but that's the wonderful thing about social media. You're able to connect with individuals whose plight is the same as yours or similar to yours. And you're able to help each other. Like a lot of times people that reach out to me don't realize they're helping me in the process. They're helping me. I'm, I'm I am so hard on myself, and that's one of the things that I'm working to change. But I'm, yeah. I'm probably my worst critic. Yeah. I, well, not no, probably. I know I'm my worst critic. Mm-hmm. So when I hear people say, like, oh, my gosh, I love what you're doing, or thank you, you've helped me, like, that is so reassuring for me. It makes me feel good. So they're helping me in the process of feeling like I'm helping them. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely like it, you really can't like put a put a feeling on that. You know, when somebody reaches out and says, like, you know, oh man, this is I was going through this, but you know, so your post helped and or yeah, it's just it's a wonderful feeling. You know, so like uh, what other kind of things do you have a uh, plan for? You know, like in your journey of uh, mental health advocacy. So I am working now actually to get um, rap certified. Okay. So that way I can ca- I'm sorry? I said okay. Oh. <laughs> so I can carry out some groups, some local groups in the community more that u- utilizes the rap plan. Mm-hmm. Because, only because I've used it and I feel like it works. It's another type of um, avenue for those that the regular group session or the regular just let's talk about it, it doesn't work for them. And then also they may not be able to afford to go into um, the doctor's office or go into actual therapy and get get these plans or get these resources. So I want to do that within the black community. I am working on putting together a program that's kind of like a panel yeah, um, to talk about the state of mental health in the black community. And when I say black community, I really mean black and brown community, especially now with the um, with the way our country is going with mm. with the height and um, yeah. hate that's going on right now and everything. It's, it 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 opens up old wounds. Yeah, and we need to talk about it, and we need to talk about it in a place that is safe. And so I want to allow that. So I plan on having that in October okay. here in my local hometown. Um, and then I'm also working on a retreat program for next year. So I want that to be either a two-day or three-day retreat that includes yoga. Yeah. And so opening up um, another way for people to cope with things that may not do well with talking about it, but utilizing their body mm-hmm. utilizing their body to get rid of stressors and everything i want to move i want to move our community from the place of thinking that how we cope is through alcohol drugs mm. and sex like and sex yeah i want to move to a place where we're doing things that's healthier and things that we can pass down that are positive to um the ones looking up to us to our families i just want to break that curse of saying that we we don't talk about it, you you kind of just deal with it. Yeah, yeah, that's <clears throat> that's a good goal to have, you know, because um, like I I still see people on Instagram who are very like anti talking about their mental health, are anti talk, are anti therapy, are anti you know you know they just think it's a it's a um it's a fad that's going to go away, but. Uh, I mean, for me, like just looking at at our past and looking at you know just things, you know, because I'm like just looking at like how how the black culture is connected through like the nation, you know, what I'm saying, which is a gift and a curse in itself, because it's cool, like you know, for you know, for like you to say something in North Carolina, and I might be in Portland, Oregon, and I might be able to relate because we do the same stuff, you know, saying because we are from like you know like a centralized area and we kind of branched out, but you know, but but in the same time, we have like these, you know, these histories of trauma that we have, and we've and we've carried from state to state, from county to county, from city to city, 
and we need to talk about those. And there are some people that aren't ready, and they just think it's that's just it's a part of just life. But no, we gotta like you said, normalize the conversation. You know, it's it's not okay to hurt people, and or if you do hurt someone. You know, for somebody to look at you and say, that's just life or that's just how it goes. Let's not share it because it's embarrassing. A lot of, yeah, it is embarrassing, you know, but at the same time, but we got to heal. You know, like like if we don't heal, then we'll just continue to keep passing it down to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation, you know. And I think we're getting a good start at it right now, but, you know, it would be nice for everybody to be on board. Exactly. And even if people, like, I understand when people say, oh, you're not going to change the world. Well, the world changes one person at a time. Mm -hmm. And so if we can, like, within my house, teach, even so I have a nine-year-old son and a three-year-old daughter. And so historically, you know, black men, you told to be strong, don't cry, all this stuff. Well, with my son, I allow him to have his emotions. Yeah. Like, you know, we talk about his day every day. Mm. If I notice certain cues about him, I'm like, hey, what's going on? You want to talk about it? If he finds himself getting emotional, I'm like, yo, like, let's talk about it. What's going on? Like, it's okay for you to cry. It's okay for you to get upset. Those are normal emotions. Yeah. And the, from him hearing that as a child, it allows him to grow up and be a man that's in tune with who he is. Mm -hmm. And that can say, it's okay for me who has these moments where I'm having emotions and it's okay for me to talk about them. Um, I feel like when we get to a place where we're teaching our black and brown boys that, that, that you talking about your emotions does not make you less of a man. No. I think it's, it's always funny when you hear women like, I want this strong man that does all this stuff. And then the moment he hits on her or the moment he doesn't, um, get in tune with her emotions or recognize when she's having a bad day when she's changed her hair, they're upset. And it's like, well, you you have to also, in the in the power of saying you want a strong man, understand that that strong man can also have emotions. Yeah. And allowing that strong man to say, hold on, it's okay for you to cry sometimes. It's okay for you to have those days where you're vulnerable. It's okay for you to to get to a point where you feel like you you got to regroup and figure out what you're doing. It's okay for me to take take the lead sometimes. You know, Definitely, like yeah. we have to get back to And I feel like that starts at home. It starts with, you know, raising this next generation to look at things a little bit differently. Because the last thing I want to see is that my kids endure what I did growing up. Mm -hmm. But the outer space to let it out. Yeah. Without a healthy space, you know, we mm. can always turn to drugs, we can always turn to alcohol, we can always turn to sex and everything else. But I feel like we've we've lived enough of that within our community that it's time it's time to do something different. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Is there anything that you would tell your younger self? If I could tell my younger self uh, anything, it would probably be that it's okay to not be strong. Mm. Um, just looking back at the younger me and who I was, and even now, like, I have to teach myself that it's okay to not to not always be strong. Um, but then I took on everything. Yeah. 
if my mom was dealing with is I, I grew up in a um, in a home that was very abusive. Um, my mom had an abusive partner, and I always felt like I had to rescue her. I've always had a rescue mentality, but in doing that, I never, I never allowed myself to ask for help, or never allowed myself to say, "Hey, I'm the one who needs rescuing." You know, so I would tell myself that one, you can't rescue everyone, and it's okay not to be strong all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's something that sounds familiar. It sounds like something I would tell my younger self. You know, like uh, like you were saying. Um, you know, it's just we've had a lot of misguided information that we can't really, we can't, we can't, uh, we can't change. But you know, now we know better, and we know that you know things are different, and we can, you know, we're doing our part to make sure that the next generation does not go through the same stuff that we went through. You know, so exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you want to go ahead and uh, plug anything that you got uh, going on or, you know, give uh, Instagram names, links, or whatever? Yeah, so I can be followed on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, which I, I don't tweet as much as I should, but <laughs> um, at Simply Poor, and it's S-I-M-P-L-E-E-T-O-R. I also um, have a website, so it's simplypoor.com. Um, I have a t-shirt that's out that states normalize the conversation that can be found on my website at simplypoor.com. I also have a book, It's Not That Easy, Stop Telling Me to Get Over It. Um, and you'll just be on the lookout for some new items that are coming down the pipe and my new books that will be released hopefully at the end of this year. All right. Well, I appreciate you for sitting down and sharing some uh, vulnerability. You know, it's not it's not always easy, but uh, you know, it's we do it for the for the, for the culture. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Have a good day. You too. All right. Bye.